So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. You know, today we have a great podcast because a lot of people want to know how to invest either at scale or with other people and how these things should be set up, how you run them, how you find them, on and on and on, into real estate, cash-flowing assets that can provide financial freedom. So what we did is today we got Matthew, and he's coming in here, and he's going to talk about private equity and how they use private equi- their private equity firm to go out and purchase large multifamily deals. This is a great one for anybody that's looking at either getting started or understanding how to get to that level and what is going on. Um, I'm super excited with that. Let's just bring him in. Matthew, how's it going? Cheers, AJ. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for coming on. Now, uh, before we get started talking about real estate, anything else like that, we when we were talking a little earlier, you were telling me that you are in Thailand? Correct. And have you liked it there? Yeah, no, no, it's great. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's kind of different, but I feel like I'm in a little bit of a different world. Like we have, you know, obviously we have the coronavirus and stuff going on, but it's like 40 degrees. So, you know, upper 90s, uh, 30, 40% humidity, hot. I mean, I, I just, it's like, you know, I'm originally from Denver, Colorado, born and raised. And, you know, it's like, I was like, oh, you know, it's 55 degrees. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I don't, I don't even know what that is. Like my brother, my brother lives in London. I have a big, like broad worldly family. And my brother's like, yeah, mate, like, oh my God, today's like lower seventies. And I'm like, dude, I haven't seen that in a long time. So yeah, the temperature is a little hot, but now I'm, I'm getting on. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. That's awesome. And how long you been there? So I originally left the States back in uh, June of 2016. Uh, I originally attempted to move to Germany, but that wind up or wound up falling through. And I've been in Thailand for since then. So pushing, what was that, four years now? So yeah, four years. That's amazing. And you just, you decided to, you know what, we're going to go live in Thailand because we can, because you have financial no, freedom no, no. or so, what? No, no, no. So I was originally, I left the States uh, June 27, 2016, and I was going to move to Germany. And I don't know, I had this thing in my head, like I was going to move to Germany and I really looked, I don't know, I, just, I, was, I always thought I was going to move to Germany. I moved to Berlin and I got there and it wasn't what I thought. And I didn't really like Berlin. And I was like, you know, I have to do all this stuff with my visa to stay here. And I was kind of getting pressed for time for my window to be, or for my visa to be processed. And I was like, you know what? I'm actually didn't know what I was going to do next. So I wound up traveling a little bit within uh, Europe. And my brother was like, you should go to Thailand. You should go to Thailand. You should go to Thailand. So I came to Thailand. I, I originally came, I started teaching, uh, I taught, taught English class for one year. And then I came to Chiang Mai, which is a bigger city. It's the second biggest city in Northwestern Thailand. And then I met my wife, fell in love with my wife. And now here I am in Chiang Mai, Thailand, three years later. So, um, yeah, life's good. That's, that's cool. That's, you know, it's for someone like me, you know, I am from the you know Western United States as well as you. I'm in Idaho. And, you know, I used to live in Brazil. 
and that was just amazing. I lived there for a couple of years and absolutely loved it. And it's amazing, though, how when you get back and after you've been traveling and living abroad, like really living, you know, like not not vacationing. You know, we lived with all I did is spoke Portuguese. I didn't, couldn't even speak English. So, you know, it was amazing when I got back, though, how you, once you get your roots planted, it's really hard to move around. And now I look back and, yeah, me and my wife and kids will go on vacation stuff, but we've been planted for like 15 years. So that's amazing that you got that done or that you're doing that now while you can. So what now? Yeah, yeah, for sure. How'd you get into real estate then? So you're in Thailand. So, yeah, so I, uh, back in, back around 2008, I helped my mother manage 10 single family homes. Um, and you know, one thing led to another and we basically had to liquidate the whole portfolio and had to get rid of everything. So, you know, fast forward to around 2015, 2016, you know, traveling, thinking about my next steps, coming back to the States and I'm thinking, okay, you know, when I come back, you know, I'm thinking about want to get into real estate, want to get into investing, you know, how, when am I going to go back? I didn't know. Right. At the time I'm traveling, I'm like, I've done so much to get where I'm at abroad right now. Do I go back now? What's the next move? And so I just kind of started thinking, all right, like I want to get involved into multifamily real estate, but now I'm living in Thailand and how do I really kind of go about doing that? So I had to kind of think differently and I started a digital meetup group. I put out feelers on bigger pockets and so I started a digital meetup group. It wasn't you know, that successful, but it had about around uh, eight to 10 members on a given week. And they're all, they all based out of the United States. And I was, I was the one that obviously hosted it. But one of the ladies that saw my comment, she said like, she didn't join, but she says, hey, just like update me on your progress. You know, I'm interested in you know, following your story. And she's one of these people that's like really good at connecting people and just a really genuine caring person. And so, you know, I was like, hey, you know, this is what we did in month one. This is what we did in month two. This is what we did in month three. She's like, you know, I really like what you're doing. Why don't I put you in touch with somebody that I know right now? He's starting a company and he's really good at underwriting, which is our CEO right now. His name is Omar Khan and he's he started Boardwalk Wealth. And I just got in with him and he was like, hey, you know, can you do some? I believe the first task he asked me if I could help him with compiling a list of brokers in Corpus Christi. And I remember like, I was like, man, we're looking at, we're looking at properties in Corpus Christi, but I was like, okay, whatever. So I helped him out. And then he's like, Hey, maybe can you help me with one other thing? One other thing, one other thing led to another, led to another. And the next thing you know, two years later, you know, still working with the company and, you know, we're acquiring properties. My role's increasing with the company. I'm living abroad. But if you would have told me, you know, four years ago, you know, you're going to leave Los Angeles, California, travel around the world, get a job in commercial real estate and become real, like start investing in larger properties, have a house in Thailand and a son and a wife. Like I would have been like, you're ridiculous. You know, yeah. it's like, I was like, what, what is that? What, how does that even go down? So, so yeah, that's like a little bit of my backstory and how I got, uh, got started and got into real estate. Your story is so interesting to me because it is so non-typical. But what it shows, too, is that you can do it. Like I, I mean, how many people are sitting in the United States and 
wherever, you know, Kansas City sitting here going, I want to get in real estate, but I don't know how. There's no way I can make connections, and I don't know people. And so then they just don't. And you're over in Thailand creating digital just meetups, talking to people, and you made a connection, and now you're in private equity. Now, this is a good – maybe we, too, we need to start with this. Can you explain to people what private equity is? Like, what is a private equity firm, and what do you guys do? Yeah, so basically, uh, we're a private equity company. We take an allotment of capital, and we invest it into a larger real estate property. So we have investors. So we'll just say, for hypothetical purposes – if a property costs $1 million, you can divide it up into however many allotments you want. So you can say $10,000 for one share, $10,000 for another share, blah, 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 blah. You allocate the capital, purchase it into a property. You have your limited partners, your general par- partners. The limited partners are completely passive. So they basically sit back and usually, the way we structure our deals is you get a six to 8% preferred rate of return and then after that, there's the back end, and that's when we sell the property and you get larger commission on the back end. We usually shoot for a 2x equity multiple with a five-year hold, which basically means if you put down $100,000, our projections are that you will usually 2x your money within five years. Now, this is not guaranteed. This is not financial advice, but that's kind of a general overview, and the properties in the equities usually split 70-30 between general partners and the limited partners. That's just how we structure our deal. That's People almost structure their deals exactly the same. So, so I started a private equity company this year um, for self-storage. Um, and that's almost identical to our setup. So we're just actually rolling it out this summer. Because um, all, all my investments, so instead of being the private equity, I did the private route. But now I'm going the pri- we started our private equity company. But it's almost an identical structure. We're at like a 35, 60. So that tends to be... Yeah, some some do 60, 40, something. Exactly. uh, It tends to be typical amongst private equity, uh, starting private equity. But why don't you tell the benefits to the people both investing, but then the benefits to the private equity company? Like, why would you start a private equity company or why would you want to be involved in a private equity company? Well, let's see. I mean, as far as investors concerned, you know, it's basically going to put you in. Let's, let's say you're a doctor, right? Maybe you want to get involved in real estate. You know it's a good play. You have a lot of uh, access to money, but you don't want to maybe do fixing and flipping. But you want the benefits of depreciation. You want all these factors of, you know, especially with self-storage, a lot of same similar stuff. And so you say, hey, you know, I have $100,000. I want to invest. I don't want to be have it correlated with the stock market. Bada bing, bada boom. You can become an LP. You don't have to ever touch anything. You can just log into the portal. You can look at the projections. You can talk to the investors. Now, as far as the being on the general partner side, why would you want to be a general partner? I mean, that's kind of up to the individual person. But I would say for myself, you know, I am now on the general partner side for a deal. And for me, I like being more active within the deals. So I take on more of a, a role. So therefore, like I have potential to make more on the back end. So the general partners, that's where they usually make most of their money. And that's like what I like is the, the stronger upside for myself. And a lot of people that are limited partners who invest, 
they like it being passive. So they know that they're locked in or not necessarily locked in, but you know, they have a preferred rate of return between six to 8%. You give a hundred thousand dollars, like, okay, I know I'm going to get 6%. It's non-correlated with the stock market. I'm good with that. Now on the active side, we're like, okay, like we're, we're the ones like kind of like pulling our hair, trying to hit our projections. And then, you know, one thing leads to another, we sell the property, we refinance, what have you. And then we can all live happily and make more money. So, you know, you said something at the end there that I think's really why private equity was, um, is intriguing to me is because we sell the property and we all live happy as in the, you, the investor. So the limited liability partners, they're the people that come in, they have, they have limited liability. So from that standpoint, I assume you're saying the GPs take the debt liabilities. That's the same with ours, how it's set up. So if it goes bankrupt and you're a limited liability partner, they're not coming after your house. So you get a passive real estate asset that you actually own. The limited liability partners are on the LLC, right? Or the LLP. They are literally owners of that asset. So if you're a limited partner in a hotel, you actually own it. So when you go to do your taxes, it's you're an owner. You get all the benefits. You get everything else like that. Um, but the yeah, and the depreciation as well. Yeah, yeah, which is huge for for a lot of people. They vastly underestimate the benefits of depreciation on commercial real estate, um, which is which is gr- uh, great because a lot of people don't understand. If you make too much money, you can't get the depreciation from single family homes. So. I had that problem when I was in sales, things like that. I, I was The government basically forces those people to invest up. They say, you don't get the benefits of the smaller ones. You got go up. So, you get, so you're saying your part, the partners that come in as limited liabilities, they get all the benefits, they're owners, yet they're completely in line with the general partner because they're co-owners. Now, they have the say, but they also hold all the risk. So you right and then now also, are then also then also yeah then then also to add to this too is your money is going to be locked up it's not you're not in a highly liquid you're not in the stock market hey it goes up hey 6 months later i want to sell you basically your shares are locked up for as long as the holding period is and our typical projections are 5 years so, but you, you know, still have say, be- correct? So, like, it's locked up, and by locked up means until you guys have the say to sell, correct? Correct. Yes. As a general partner, uh-huh. and as a limited partner, you don't have say in the day-to-day operations. So, I mean, yes, there's there's a bunch of legal ramifications. Like, I mean, this is an SEC security, so you know, obviously, like if we're doing something, you know, highly illegal or laundering some funds, like you can vote to oust. Uh, part, general partners. But for the most part, you can't say we're painting the new apartment complex uh, white with a fluorescent orange for the doors and we think it's going to go well. And you're like, no, I think we should put bushes here. And, you know, I don't like the property manager. Like, you don't have any you say. You don't have any say. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's completely it's passive. It's completely correct. And what else I find interesting too is, you know, as far as in the investment realm is concerned, you know, you're talking about, we're talking about private equity, we're talking self-storage, I'm talking about multifamily, but a lot of this is kind of structured and there's a lot of deals out there that people aren't even aware of. Like people are doing this for self-storage, they're doing it for farmland, they're doing it for all these things. Online businesses, I, they're doing it for correct. anything on, you online can businesses. think of. They do it for mm-hmm, racehorses. Correct. 
Correct. Yeah. I think they did that. Uh, I forget the guy, like the number one horse that run all, won all the triple crowns. Yeah. Uh, I believe that lady sold shares in her horse. In her horse. And basically. It was the same yeah, thing. She was the general partner. I forget the horse's yeah. name. I yeah. remember that too. But yeah, yeah you, that, that's the beauty about private equity is you're saying, listen, we're all coming in this together and you're just basically deciding the role. So you get the say, but at the same time, if it goes belly up, they're coming after you. They're not coming after the limited liability. So if you're a limited liability partner, you don't really have the right to say because you're, it's not your name on the debt. So it to me, it makes perfect sense, right? The roles are perfect, but more importantly, they're completely in line. So a lot of funds you see, like they have a, either a guarantee, uh, one guarantee that's a certain return, but you don't get above that. You have not only no rights, you have no say, you don't even know what's going on, and you're not really an owner. That's not how private equity works, right? Like, you are an owner in the property, and they're, and they're co-owners. The GP, you, are the co-owner. So if something goes wrong, you're in trouble. It's not like a fund manager that maybe his, you know, his money, money might not be in, and he gets paid whether it makes money or not. That's not how it works with you guys. So you're really incentive. So if somebody, so if somebody from this podcast went to you and said, I want to give you money or whatnot, they get to be an owner. They have no say, right? But they have, they actually don't have to work and they get all the benefits of real estate. And then that pressure is put on you, especially because if something bad happens, you have the most risk. So that's, I, I, I like what you're doing. And I think that's a really cool way for you to go about it. Because now you get a partnership, you're working for the venture capitalist, you're actually in the GP, so you're taking risk, liability, everything else like that, and working your butt off to make sure that things go good for other people. So it's a win-win for everybody. Like you said, we all end up happy, right? That's At least that's how it goes. And if it goes badly, you by far are hurt worse. Yeah, and the thing is too, you know, this definitely sounds like, let's just say you're listening to this and you're like, Okay, you know, like where's the downside, right? Obviously, your money's gonna be locked up. Now, if you are thinking about investing into a deal, whether it is, you know, self-storage or if it's multifamily or whatever have you be, like it's up to you as the investor to do the diligence on the team because the team is going to be the ones that is managing the money, managing the decisions and you must feel comfortable with them. Now, I find it very interesting too, is that like, as I say this, this should be applicable to stocks as well. And I'm not knocking stocks because I know a lot of people are like stocks or real estate, right? I think they, there's, a, there's a place for both. But it's like, if I asked you, you know, are you invested in Johnson & Johnson? Who's the, like, who's the CEO of the company? You don't know, but you're invested in the company. Like, yeah. why would you be invested why would in you, that? How or, much debt? Do like, they my have? mom. What's the rep? You know, no clue. Yeah, my like my, my mom. My mom. I love her, but she she's uh, invested in a fund for her work for her 401k, and I forget how they structure it. They have four different funds, and it's like, well, who's the fund manager? Like, what funds are they invest? She's like, ah, I I I could I could I could pull it up, and I'm not saying it's bad, but I feel like people should be more informed, and if they did proper due diligence. I don't think people would be involved in some stocks that they are involved in or some funds that they're involved in. And I think the same thing goes for real estate. If people vetted uh, more, like an example being, you know, right now, uh, past, I'll say five years, like multifamily, multifamily is like hot, 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 hot topic, right? 
And so a lot of people are becoming syndicators and Omar, our, our CEO, he's a, he's a CFA charter holder members, like really good at underwriting, super conservative, like a wizard with numbers. So he underwrites, we raise extra capital. So we have more, you know, extra cushion on the books in case anything goes bad. So with the typical value add property, you go in, let's say, okay, I'm going to renovate, you know, seven or if it's a hundred units, let's just say I'm going to renovate 30 of these units and we'll, you know, renovate them and then we'll increase the value and blah, blah, blah. And then we'll sell. Well, a lot of syndicators now, they didn't uh, conservatively underwrite enough. So now they're in the middle of this business plan of, okay, our plan says we are going to execute on these 30 units. Maybe they're 10 units in coronavirus hits. Now people aren't paying their rents. And now they're like, okay, now I'm looking to get out of the deal. You see what I'm saying? So it's up to you as an investor to be like, really drill down. If you're going to think about investing in anything, you know, focus on your team. And if you don't feel confident, then you shouldn't be involved in any investment, whether that's real estate, stocks, gold, cryptocurrencies. And I'm not knocking any of these. I think they're all great investments, but I really think people should definitely do due diligence. And then I heard uh, an investor say that like, once you become, you know, more uh, informed on an investment, you're going to have stronger legs to stand on. So if there is a downturn, you're going to be like, Hey, like let's, let's swoop up and grab some more or, you know, like I, I can weather the storm. Like I'm, I'm conf- confident in my knowledge, but if you just get in for something because you hear six, 8% preferred rate of return and they're investing in, you know, Kansas city, whatever, not saying that's a bad market, but basically knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I, um, you know, we've, we've worked with, uh, a lot of people and as you increase your knowledge and strength and whatever you're doing, you attract more because, you know, when you look at it at the end of the day, stocks, whatever investment you're looking at, you should be betting on the jockey, not the horse. And, uh, you know, that's how investments work, right? The jockey makes it or not. It's not, you know, they, it, they'll, they'll make you money or it'll fail. It's all about the operations be, and it's all about how they get into deals. Cause you're right. Some people have experience and knowledge how to underwrite deals and they know what happens in certain scenarios and they know how to embed that risk into their underwriting performa. And that's really important. And I know that most money managers care a lot less about the asset class as they do the jockey because of that reason right there. They know that a good one will get them out of trouble. They know that a good one will not do the deals that everybody else is doing or they'll stop doing deals or whatever it may be. And I think that's the that's the great thing about private equity is private equity. Like for me, I would never like I'm not going to go out right now and go buy tons of apartments, things like that. Now, I may invest though, with somebody that does that, because I know they have much better knowledge and expertise than I do, at least starting out for me right now. Now that's, you know, I'm talking very large multifamily. I would do multifamily, but I know when I'm out of my realm and I, too, I know when I'm risking. And so I would need to build up to get that experience. And for me, maybe that's not something I want to do. And I'm just saying this in general for people, right? You may say, I have a great job. I make great money. I want passive income. But two, I can't risk my job and I can't dedicate or whatever that may be. And so if you're looking at placing that capital, 
whether it's stocks, bonds, anything like that, bet on the jockey, not the horse. And I, I, I could yeah. not agree more with that statement. And, 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 and to piggyback off this too, you know, it's like we as investors, we obviously established our investment criteria. So our typical investment criteria is, you know, one to 200 units, value add, uh, preferably vintage roofs, B2C class properties, Southeastern United States, uh, landlord friendly states, blah, 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 right? We have a couple other things. Now you as an investor, likewise, should start to develop your own criteria. So if you're looking for, you know, a 2% rate of, you know, 2% return on your money and you're investing in, you know, an IPO in the stock market, like you're not in alignment, right? So you should know what kind of returns that you want or you are expecting going in. So if you're saying, you know, I want to 5X my money in five years, 10 years, well, maybe, you know, being an angel investor would be more so your route or you're going to have to, you know, obviously allocate more risk. But, you know, you should have your own investment criteria. And if that doesn't match up, then don't feel like you should, you know, put a, what is it, a square peg in a circle yes. hole, like, it's not going to work. So I okay. feel like the, it's a two-way street here. Yes. Everybody that's listening to Matthew right now, all my listeners, all my my freedom fighters out there, cash flow hounds, that is the most important thing. I, I mean, listen to what Matthew's saying right here because it's really important. You need to understand not only expectations, but what comes with those expectations and what you're willing to do. I, I've, I've seen this time and time again when people are like, yeah, I want a 20% return. But then they don't want to take on risk to get a return like that. And you're like, those things don't correlate. So you need to either be willing to take on more risk. And by risk, all I mean is I, I'm not talking about risk in the traditional sense. I mean, ha maybe you're holding the banknote. Or maybe you have to do all the work like you guys are doing. So you're not willing to do maybe those things, but you want the return. And then you're never happy with anything that you do. And you don't know why your investments aren't working out for you. Now, if you say the opposite, I just want a steady 3% cash flowing return. And like you said, you're out investing with IPOs. You're never going to be happy doing that. And you're always going to wonder, why am I losing money? What am I doing wrong? And two, it's not scalable. That's not a scalable way to go. You got to align those two things. You got to say, for me, and obviously for you, listen, I'm totally okay as my family will uh, attest, working from seven in the morning to nine o'clock at night every single day and signing on the bank, coming up with new ways to do deals, traveling the country and taking the risk, right? I'm totally comfortable with that because of my knowledge and everything that I've done. Now, I know there's a lot of people that aren't and that's fine. So you want to be probably on the limited partnership if you're not willing to drop everything if something goes wrong, to pick up and go run to that investment, to do all those things and then be comfortable too with associated cash flowing number, whether that's six or however that's structured. Once you get those things figured out, you can start to build a plan, whether that's stocks, no matter what we're investing in. Then you can start to create a strategy that can be repeatable and actually get you to reach your goals. That was awesome. Thank you. That was for really sure. good. Yeah, good no, nugget. no, no, for sure. And like, and, and, and also things like I tell people, right? Like if they're like, you know, where do I kind of get started or, you know, there's, there's, there's a million ways to make a million dollars, right? There's not just like one way and, you know, there's not one way to exercise. Your way might be P90X, 
you know, I've run five marathons. Like there's a, there's a bunch of different stuff and, you know, coming from a marathon runner, like I've seen people they buy the shoes, they buy the gloves, they buy the nutrients, they buy the water bottle, they buy everything. They will, they maybe run one, they're disappointed and then they never run again. Right. But what I tell people is once you start putting skin in the game, you develop your own investment criteria and you start to like, you know, people say, how do I develop my investment criteria? Like, what do I know? Like, what do I want? What do I need? It's like, only you can answer that. And only you can determine that by getting into the game. Now, when people hear syndications and they think oh, the tremendous upside on the back end, and they're like, Oh, I want to be syndicators. A lot of people start by joining the limited partner side. They see how it is as an investor side. They start getting some returns. They start getting some feedback. They start getting some emails. And then they start maybe like, you know, like all this kind of bores me. Like, I don't really care all that much about, you know, 120 unit in Boise, Idaho. door or whatever that you're dealing with. You know, there's like, listen, like I got, and uh, honestly, at the end of the day, like a lot of people just care about their money, like brass tacks, you know, it's like, listen, okay, there's a pipe broke. There's a, a fire unit. Great. Am I like, are we still on for our projections? Like, are you not holding my money? All right, great. Awesome. We're still, we're, everything's good. Everything's good. You know, so you, you bring like, up a really good point here because the, um, you know, before, obviously before we ever got to where growth in investments or wealth is, it needs to be an organic while simultaneously forced process. This is a very hard thing for most people to get. And what you explained was a perfect ideal way to have force with organic process. So before we ever, like we're st- yeah, our private equity company that um, we just launched, we have developments, we're doing everything else like that. I have been in real estate for 15 years, through 2008, through everything. I've done the crap shoveling drives in the snow and I worked two jobs while I did it. I understood that I liked this kind of stuff, that I wanted to do it. And the more that I learned, the more comfortable I got. Then after going through the process now and learning, having the experience, then I felt comfortable saying, okay, I'm willing to now take on other people's money, right? So it's not that I shouldn't have, it's not that uh, I should have started earlier or I shouldn't have done private equity, but I needed to grow into my own. I needed to understand. I needed to learn. And uh, I have uh, I have people that have worked for me where they now leave and they go do real estate. So there's a perfect organic way to do it. Go pair up, go start to learn, go see what others are doing, go invest alongside operators, go actually get properties then gain skill. And you're going to learn, like you said, you're going to figure that out quickly. You're either going to say, listen, I really like this, or you know what, I'm really into Bitcoin, or whatever it may be. You know, it may be racehorses. But going through the process allows you to, uh, like as a limited partner or investing alongside the people that know what they're doing, allows you insight into that world that you wouldn't have had before and so if you go and just do it on a whim, you may end up in a spot where you're like, holy cow, I hate this. This isn't what I, th- I thought that it would just be me dressed up in a suit like Wall Street or something. And you're like, now I'm sitting here dealing with, you know, toilets or contractors and this perfect way to piggyback, piggyback on somebody else that's doing it and see what they're doing to learn. And then it's organic as well, though, you're making the effort to move forward. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, if you're, if you're, 
if you're genuinely interested and you're receptive, things are going to come to you. Like you can be like, okay, I want to get into this LP. I've edited them, blah, 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 blah. And then from there, another LP might open up or a general partnership might open up or one of the investors that you're investing with might introduce you to, you know, storage facilities. And you're like, okay, this is kind of like a little bit of a similar model, but wait, they don't have tenants and they can increase, you know, all the, you know, uh, storage units by $2 for per square foot. And all the people aren't going to move their stuff out. They're just, oh, this is two more dollars, but that incremental amount increases the NOI. And oh my God, oh my God, this is way much better. Oh, I, lo- I like storage units, but it's just no tenants. Like this is amazing. You know, but you would never have gone down that rabbit hole if you were just kind of sitting on the sidelines, waiting to invest, not like getting any skin in the game. But once you start doing these kind of things, your investment knowledge and your investment team and your investment network, everything really is opening up. So, you know, I know you're all about you know, financial freedom and all that. So the more knowledge that you can acquire and the bigger the network you have, the more likely you are going to attract success capital and money and like that's i believe how you build true wealth this is such a good point to make knowledge is so key because it goes even back to what we were talking about betting on the jockey like you know when we're starting out and when when i was doing anything if it wasn't somebody known if i didn't know it or understand but thought i'd like it i'd first of all want to gain knowledge through people that are doing it which tells me okay i either like this or do or and if i do do it I gain the knowledge, so then I gain the confidence to say I can bet on it. I'm the jockey, or I can deliver, find the way. And in doing that, a lot of people, I, I suggest, like if you're wanting to be in tech, go work for a tech firm before you ever start. That's the quickest way to gain inside knowledge. That's the fastest way to see how a tech company works, how it should be built, how it should be created. And then two, you're building your resume, right? Now you're saying, listen, I know. So you don't have to be a jockey, right, to be riding the horse. You can ride with another jockey that's experienced until you're ready to ride on your own. That is the hands down the best way. If you are in your early 20s, it doesn't matter what age you are, but listening to this and you're like, I want to get in this and I don't know how, call up somebody that is doing what you want to do, offer help. Like, I mean, that's what I love about your story. You went out there. It was add organic. value. Add, add value. value. Exactly. And then the thing is, the thing is, the thing is. Now this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna harp on this. Is you have to add value. Now I've been there before. Where you're like, I don't have anything to offer. Everybody has something to offer. Now whether you're a copywriter, whether you're a photographer, whether you have a drone, whether you know how to host meetups whether you know how to do social media marketing, like people can reach out to you and say like, AJ, like I noticed on your website, like you have 3000 followers on Instagram. You have a great, adorable family. I think you should like each post should have 1500 likes. And you're like, what? Oh my God, that's amazing. Like I should have 20,000 followers. Like, why do I not have that? Well, guess what? I'm the answer to your solution. I'm the answer to your problem, right? And then now you develop a relationship and, oh, AJ, what are you doing? Oh, you're starting to do the storage unit thing. Tell me more about it. Now a relationship is developed. But I literally checked LinkedIn before this and I have like every single time I go, it's like request, 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 request. And people will leave me. I don't know why, but for for some reason, there was a lot more with the message types in. And it's like, hey, Matthew, like I'd like to 
link in, like, feel free to book a time with me. Hey, Matthew, like, let's get a cup of coffee. Hey, Matthew, like, it's just like, listen, you're busy. I'm busy. Like, you're probably a good person. You probably could add value. But I don't have time to exchange uh, cordial back and forth. Yeah, of like, no. Hey, how was no your weekend? Yeah, it's My not. Was good. <laughs> exactly. Right. That doesn't so work. So you need, you need to be like, like, perfect example could just be this. Hey, AJ, sorry, podcast. It was great. I left a, I left you a five-star review, and I shared it with my friends. Hope you had a great weekend. Now, I, I told it? you. I had somebody that said, hey, um, I'll have people. They always are reaching out, everything like that. And I'll, and lots of times, I just don't. Once again, I'm 200-plus emails a day. I can't even look at them. And so I, when I look in the line, I'll see in the top, in the subject line. And I've had people said, AJ, I left a five-star review. I shared it with my 10,000 followers, thanks for everything that you do. Could we have a call? I immediately re- replied back, they're supporting me. I'm going to support them. But too often people think that it's by asking for something that that's how they get attention. That asking for something is how they get it. You are a perfect example too. I had an employee, he came to me. So I was speaking at an event, came up after me, he was a young guy, right? We're, I don't know. 19 years old. And he's like, Hey, I have, I have some questions for you. Could I steal your time? And I said, listen, I have five minutes. You get five minutes. Let's stop. Right. I stopped. I talked to him for five minutes and he said, how could I get another meeting? And I gave him a list. I'm like, do all these things. And then maybe I'll talk to you again. Right. He did all of them. Came, came back, said, I want to work for you, but you don't have to pay me. I'll work for you for free. I was like, no, we're not going to do that. And he kept doing it. AJ, I'll work for you for free. Can I go out and look at any properties for you? You don't have to pay me. We ended up hiring him. He's now a partner. And um, we funded him on online companies. And we now have a company where uh, he's a millionaire. And five years from that relationship where he just came up and said, listen, I'll work for free for you. And that and it people, was totally people, changed. Yeah, people don't. Yeah, people don't want people don't want to do the dirty work, right? They yeah. might see that and then they want that and they think like I'm willing to do that. But it's like, okay, are you willing to work for free for a year and drive around and burn your own gas money and yeah. knowing that you are not going to possibly have an upside, knowing that there might not be a job. Yep. And giving without the expectation of receiving. Now also to add to And that's to entrepreneurship. That that's entrepreneurship. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. So if you're not willing to do it, why are we going to listen to you? Because I work two, three jobs without any guarantee of return. And if it fails, I just wasted years of my life, thousands or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. And if you say you're not willing to do some simple things for free or you're not willing. So it's that's why, too, I think successful people, it's immediately a turnoff. It's like, dude, I work for free all day long. And hope that that work pays off. If you're not willing to do that, it, it's there's no reason to have a discussion. You know, know what you want, right? Like, if somebody's going to borrow a moment of your time, like, be able to, be able to know what you want. Because, if, you know, you'd be surprised at how many people don't know what they want. Like, ask and don't even don't even like. Oh, I got to go to AJ. I got to go to a big wig. I got to go to my boss. Like, start small. Like, ask your mom. Ask ask your girlfriend. Like, it's like, what do you want? Like, okay, like, are you hungry? Like, what do you want? You want to go out to dinner? Like, what do you want? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Like, people don't know what they want. Like, how can I help you? Like, how can I help you? And that's like a genuine, like, how can I help you, AJ? Like, uh, you should leave every relationship better than you had had before, right? AJ, how can I help you? Leave me a five-star review, no problem. I'll share it. Okay, 
you might do the same. You know, right? like, it's it's so important because success is brought on by people. It's brought on brought on by relationships. And I can't stress that enough that you are only as good as not only the people surrounding you, but as your mentors. You know, so many of us feel that we were led astray or we had a bad start because what our parents taught us, we now don't believe. Well, that's, that's, you're dealing with what you perceive as a bad mentor. So you need to change those people because we pass on knowledge through people. I don't care if it's the internet, the knowledge, the, what you're reading on the internet is only as good as the person that's delivering it. So understanding the real people, the mentors and where they real come from, you know, in don't pick your mentor because of like Instagram or something. It should be uh, de- designed upon. You got to figure out what you want. You need to surround yourself with people that are doing those things. And then you need to figure out how you can bring value to them because what they're doing is the same thing. They're bringing value to others. The only way you're successful in private equity is if you make people rich. That's literally your only purpose. You got to make money. That's all they care about. So for private equity, you know, or for getting deals. Yeah, you get upside, but it's only if you make people money. So entrepreneurship is about service. Entrepreneurship is about doing the work, you giving 8% preferred return to others before you take anything off the table. And that is something people forget. They want it. They want everything. They but they're not willing to put everyone else first and to get what they want and to work before they get. And by figuring out what you want, surrounding yourself with the right people, the mentors, like you've done, like I've done, like anybody. I mean, and your story is just so perfect. I just, it was so organic. You're out, you're networking, you're meeting people, you're telling people your interest. You knew what you wanted. And then because of those actions, you're trying to serve other people by dispersing information, by connecting people. Because you did that, serve somebody. Somebody puts you in touch with someone that could be a mentor, brought you in. Now you're the GP on real estate deals that most people would only ever dream of even being a part of. For sure. And and we'll go like, you know, it's all about leverage, right? I mean, real estate's leverage, entrepreneurship's leverage, leverage your relationships, leverage your social media Leverage your videographer skills, leverage your drone, your uh, drone flying abilities to get, you know, like you just have to be creative and, you know, the more creative you are and the, you realize that the more you can embrace it and the more power you have. And then you're coming from a place of power as opposed to like, you know, if like imagine if somebody told you, said like, hey, I want to buy you a cup of coffee. Heard it a million times. But imagine somebody said like, listen, I have the best coffee beans, the best brew from Boise, Idaho. It's come down to the Canadian Rockies and I want to give it to you. Yeah. You would be like, damn, this guy's coming from power. I want to try that. Yeah. I love that. I want yeah. that. And you're like, he's coming from power. Yes. You know, he's, he's coming from a position of power as, a, as, as opposed to a position of weakness. And then do you, do you ever, do you ever see the movie Schindler, Schindler's List? Yes. Yes. Okay. So there's, there's, there's a scene in the movie and he says, Somebody says to him, like, Schindler, I never see you drink. Like, why don't you, why don't you drink? And he says, you know why I don't drink? It's because when I drink, I give up on my power. And when I give up my power, I don't have anything. And it's like, when I heard that, I was like, wow. Yes. Like, when you realize how powerful you really are, you're not a victim. You can control your own destiny. You can, you can get something, but you just have to figure it out. You can't get in the room with AJ. Maybe you have to start a podcast about 
digital marketing and whatever have you yeah. be. But like, you just have to be creative. And I think that's what entrepreneurship Man, that true wealth so building is really about. It, it, yeah. It's so important because you're at, I, I have such a firm belief in that for everything. Like I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do anything because of that. I'm not giving my power to something, someone else, more importantly, a vice that then controls me. This is the same with I view in workload. And I don't care if you're working out, it's doing something that you don't want to do is showing yourself who's in charge. When I want to sleep in and not get up and work and I get up anyways and I work and I'm tired, I'm doing, I'm so productive that day because I'm starting the day in a place of power because the natural man wants to sleep in and eat a lot, right? And I'm pulling up and saying, you're not in charge. I'm in charge. And even though you don't want to do this, I'm forcing you to do it. It's powerful. And people can tell. You're right. People know when people are in a place of power or not. They know when they're in control or they're not. It's so true. Yeah. And, and, if, and if you're listening to this, you're like, okay, you know, let's say you don't, let's say you're, you don't feel powerful, right? And you're like, I'm not coming from a position of power. I wasn't always there, right? Life comes in cycles. No, sometimes yeah. you're there. Sometimes you're down. And like, you know, start small, right? It, like, it needs to I be was built. I had, I had credit card debt and I remember like they kept increasing my limit and I kept in, like, it's just like snowballing. I remember thinking like, I'm never going to get out of credit card debt. Like I was like, I'm never, I'm never going to get out of credit card debt. I don't know why. I just feel like I'm never going to get out. And like, I was finally just like, you know what? Like I am no longer going to be in credit card debt. I don't care what I'm going to do. Like I'm going to consult my loans. I'm going to figure this out. And when I was living in LA and when I go to the beach with my friends, I would see a bottle and I'm like, Oh, five cents. I'd pick it up, put it in a bag. Like I go to the beach a lot, pick it up, put it in a bag, pick it up, put it in a bag, pick it up, put it in a bag, pick it up, put it in a bag. Over the year, I, I recycled $130 worth of bottles. I kept track. I go to Ralph's, turn in the little ticket bag. I'm like, Hey, this is easy money for me. Like I'm not even doing anything now. That's not like, a, a huge success story, but, but, but no, you know, that, that, no, that say, is that's a huge one, success that's one, story. That's one month's payment. That's one month's uh, payment for a credit card. So that's that much faster. And it's like, you, it you start you taking in control though. It put you yeah. in control. And two, you're then setting yourself up to where I can do something as opposed to saying, no, I can't. And then that yeah, changes the no next step. The Even though, so people try to bypass the small things and go straight to the big things. And that's not how it works. Then your confidence is completely lacking because you're like, I'm fake, right? And you don't feel in control. Those small things that I love, I just love that example. You did the, the simplest thing you could to put yourself in control. And that led you to solving the problem and getting bigger things. Yeah, and, and you got, and like, look at the, the way, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So before, yes, the way, the way, the, the way before, I may have been leading my life. Let's just say you're like, I've got a good life. I'm doing a lot of good things. I would be the guy before that would say, let's just say I had a piece of trash. Let's say a banana peel and the trash can, it's open and it's six feet, five feet away from me. Well, not maybe banana peel, but whatever, trash. I toss it and it hits and then it like falls and it's like right next to the trash can. And I'd be like, you know, I'm about to go to work. I'll get it when I get back. It's not that big of a deal. Right really not that big of a deal. The more I started to look at my life, I was like, you're the guy who kind of was like, gets it to the 90% way, but never is like always closing it and checking it off and going through. And I was like, you're not a full closer. Okay. How can I reinvent myself and start being more of a closer? Okay. 
now when I say things or when I think things, I do them. So before, and I still catch myself sometimes, it's like, oh, oh, the trash example. Pick it up, put it in. Okay, it's done. Like you're closing. All right, you're going to wake up. You're going to make your bed. Like start small, start building, start getting disciplined. And then from there, you start becoming a person of power. So you start developing these things. You start leveraging. You start developing more confidence. You start developing more confidence in your investing abilities. You have firmer legs to stand on. And then you, as it's becoming a stronger individual, you can, you can go into private equity. You can go into you know, whatever you want to go into, house flipping. But if you don't have your firm legs to stand on or your firm beliefs, you're going to go with a fart in the wind and you're going to go wherever and you're not, you're, you'll, you'll just never be happy. I, I, that is, I mean, that is so relevant to no matter what stage you are in life and you're a hundred percent right. Whatever you do, you know, wh- wh- whatever you do, you do it at the same at all things. I mean, you know, it is so funny because my wife always tells me, she's like, you know, it's either all or nothing with you, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, kind of is like, I'm, I am a hundred percent into my family. I have four kids, my wife, and it is everything, right? A hundred percent. And then what I'm trying to accomplish in life. And when I get up, wake up to do it's, I'm kind of like a dog on a bone. It's that's what I'm doing. And then things that don't matter to me or not important to me, I don't do it. I don't watch TV. I don't, you know, I just do not do those things because I understand that the moment I start, I take away from something else. The moment you start letting things fall, the moment you start doing, you're not getting all the way. And that erodes your confidence. It erodes your idea of who you are. And it confuses you. You're like, I don't know if I'm this person. I don't know if I I am. When at the end of the day, you got to make the choice, but then you start small and you create those habits, those pathways. I mean, it literally changes the way your uh, brain works, how you're processing information. And then when the big things come, you knock it out of the park. And it takes time. It's organic. And I love what you said about the bottles. I just think that's such a wonderful story because, like, I I mean, you could probably draw a direct correlation to you picking up bottles on the beach and now you being a general partner in large multifamily deals. It's, and that's, and two, I like that because that gives people power. And, and saying, I just, I don't like it when people give up their power. I don't like it when people give up their power to governments and things like that. It's like, don't give it to them. Keep in charge. I mean, if you think about, if you think about it, like, you know, the, the, the Socratic method is like to always constantly ask why, like, okay, well, like, why, why am I here in this house? Because I decided to buy this mortgage. Well, why am I, why am I, why do I, why do I have this huge mortgage? Because I have this a plus job. Why do I have this plus job? Because I went to a nice college. Well, why did I go to this nice college? Because I went to, you know, and like you keep asking why, 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 why. And it's like, you're, you realize that like, you realize your why, right? And then you're no longer the victim. It's like, why am I buying this nice car? Well, because I'm kind of like trying to put it on the front. And I'm not saying like cars are bad, but uh, you know, you just keep drilling. Understanding you keep, why you just, you're doing it. Yeah. You just yeah. keep, yeah, you just keep, you keep drilling down. You keep drilling nice down. Nice cars are status down. symbols. It has nothing to do with utility yeah. and that's, that's okay, yeah. but you need to understand yeah. why. Yeah. And so, you know, the more, the more, the best way to cure an action is action. And the more action that you take, the more clarification you have. And so if you're thinking like, Hey, this might be a good investment or this might be a bad investment or, you know, the more, the more, the more you knowledge, 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 and the more you acquire, the more you do, the more firmness you have and the more, flexibility, openness, and you realize the world is a great euphoric place and it should not be so small and insular because 
you know, when you're opening yourself up to more greatness and more people are attracted to that as opposed to just you being insular and involved into yourself. Well, and this comes down to a fundamental belief that wealth is not one, it's created. And I could not believe that more. Yes, you can you can win the lottery, you can win money, right? But wealth is created. And if you don't if you give everything or someone else your power if you don't feel powerful, then you can't create good things for you in your life. And if you don't have those habits, then how are you supposed to create it? And it's, it's wealth takes time. It takes, it's not quick. It, it takes you to learn each step along the way. It teach, you have to build it, right? And if you don't have your why determined and understood, then you're not going to go down the whole whole route, right? You're just not going to do it. And if you don't have this built in understanding of why and in power that I can do it, you just, you don't even go that way. So that, that's really powerful pe- uh, to, to understand. I just love that. That was awesome. So now tell me this, going back to the private equity side and uh, your deals that you're doing back on the actual real estate side, what is your guy like? What are you looking for? What is your criteria? You mentioned, I think, some value add stuff, but what yeah. are you looking so for? So we, uh, so we're looking for one to two hundred units, B to C class properties, preferably pitched roofs, rents that are ten to twenty percent below market, and we're looking in sub markets with a hundred or sorry, a million plus MSA. That, those are our loose requirements, and we typically invest in the southeastern United States. And our properties are in Jacksonville and in Atlanta right now. Okay. And it's a value-add strategy, right? Correct. So um, mm-hmm. are you buying like class C properties, changing them to B or B to A? C, C and B properties. Okay. So you're not uh, going to most... something that needs a total redone. Got it. Yeah. No, no, no. The, the most recent property that we purchased, um, I would say, is a solid B. The one before that, C+. Plus. B minus. And these are things that are a bit nebulous. There's not a, a book that you're going to. And when you hear this, you know, you ever hear people like, oh, I'm in a C class neighborhood, B class, blah, blah, blah. These things are nebulous. There's yes. not like a, no, there's not a, a code, a code that, yeah, like a grade, like, okay, the government said this is a C class neighborhood. It's like arguing go over the, what's it called? The, whether it's a first, second, third tier market, right? Like I'm in New York yeah. and tell people that I'm in Boise. They're like, oh, you're in a fourth tier market. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like we're a second tier market yeah. and it's just, yeah, you know, yeah, but to okay. New Yorker, I'm in a farm field. Yeah. Right. And so it's just yeah. nebulous, yeah. but it's important. Like yeah. it, for you guys, you understand what the characteristics that make that up is. So what mm-hmm. are the characteristics of mm-hmm. a property you can turn around or, or improve? We're looking at, like I said, 10, 10 to 20% below market. 10 to 20. So with the whole value add strategy, what you're going to try and do is you're going to basically, you know, try and come in, you're going to try and fix up the rents or fix up, fix up a set number of units, take those units, increase them to market value. Therefore you increase your NOI, you get more money for the property. Therefore, like if you think of the property as like a business, it now generates more revenue. Therefore it is perceived as more valuable. Therefore, when you go to turn around and sell your business to the next investor, they purchase it for a higher amount if you purchase it for 1 million and now you're going to sell it for 4 million blah 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 you sell for 4 million you pay back your limited partners 
and down down it goes now there's different strategies people go into buy and hold people do all sorts of different uh stuff as far as investments concerned but our typical uh hold pattern is between three to five years but we try that's what we typically say some people have a 10-year hold pattern it basically just depends okay that makes you know it's uh when you've seen over the last when did you guys start up uh, uh when did the ceo start 2017 so what are you guys doing right now in coronavirus are you speeding up or are you slowing down we are maintaining properties that we have we are actively looking for deals but the actively looking for deals is slowing down right now because uh you know our ceo is located in uh, dallas texas we have other partners in san francisco we have other partners in florida um so you know we're not fully like oh there's an opportunity you know travel restrictions and just moving around not as much people are or at least we're not fully on board as far as going out looking at deals so right now we're just trying to increase occupancy maintain occupancy see where things go and you know deliver on our uh, promises to our investors that we currently have right now that's awesome hey man i gotta tell you i got uh i apologize i've kept you so long but this yeah, was no fantastic could you tell our listeners where to find you where they can follow you get a hold of you yeah for sure, for sure. Yeah, I post all my content on MatthewBaltzell.com, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-B as in boy, A-L-T-Z-E-L-L.com. And that's my website. You can find my podcast, find in for more information on me about on my podcast. Or, I'm sorry, on my website. Awesome. We'll put the, that in the show notes um, so they can link back to you. Um, and we appreciate uh, you coming on here. And uh, um, I guess your time it's eight o'clock in the morning something my time we'll let you go to bed (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you very much i appreciate it it was fun it was fun thanks thanks everyone for listening to this episode of cash flow to freedom be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflow with the number two freedom.com or find us on instagram and facebook And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.